Whether you know, whether you're returning, it doesn't matter. I'm just glad you're here. My name is Bryce, and this is the Women's Soccer Slash Football Podcast, where we talk all about the world of women's soccer and everything in it. Most notably, we love to talk about the US Women's National Team, the NWSL, and the FAWSL. My favorite team is Manchester United, but you can support any team you'd like because all are welcome here. And like I said, I'm so happy you guys are here. If you guys are into... Uh, any of those subjects I just talked about, or also coffee, this is the perfect place for you. Guys, this is one of the two weekly episodes that we do for this podcast, mostly airing on Thursdays and Sundays. Today, I'm actually recording a day early because by the time you're watching this, I will probably be at the dentist getting my teeth cleaned and hopefully having no cavities. I'm crossing my fingers last time I had one, which was the first time I've had one since I was like eight, so about a long time ago. But uh, cross my fingers for me, guys. I appreciate it. Um, we've got a really good show for you all today, but first, before I get into that, just some house cleaning items. If you guys are new here and love this podcast, feel free to hit the subscribe button, share with your friends, like, comment, hit the notification bell, because then it informs people just like you of this podcast and helps them find it a little bit more easily. And guys, if you also would like to listen to this podcast on the go, we are available in audio form now. Wait for it. Wait for it. We're available on Apple podcasts. Thank goodness. I've been working on this for a few weeks now. Google Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else where you listen to. If you can't find us where you like to listen to, just let me know. Send me a comment under this video and we'll get you squared away. And guys, also, if you would like to be found or if you would like to consume this content on a more regular basis, we're also on many other social media platforms, including TikTok and Instagram, which I will link down below. So guys, like I said, we've got a whole bunch of other good stuff going on in the world of women's football this week. Jill Scott's been moving places, Steph Houghton's been nailing free kick curlers, and there's been doubt around the Tokyo Olympics. We're going to talk all about it all right here, but I won't keep you waiting. Let's get right into our segments for the day. For those of you who are new to the podcast, I usually break this down to a few different segments, first of which starts out with the featured content of the week. So, for this week, the featured content of the week is going to be my invitation and my encouragement to you guys to actually go onto Instagram and start following every FAWSL team, NWSL team, US Women's National team, or any other players that you'd like. There's no better way to get your best sources of information than directly from the source, which includes these players and these clubs. So I invite you all, you will learn so much more just by doing that one simple task. So that is my recommendation to you. And plus you will find some golden content out there. It's fascinating. All right, guys, so that was a bit of a cop-out for that first segment, but let me know how it goes. Let's jump into the second segment. The second segment is going to be our Women's Footballer of the Week. So in the last couple weeks, I've decided to pick multiple Women's Footballers of the Week, but for this week, I'm going back to just selecting one Women's Footballer of the Week. For this week, it is going to be the honorable, the wonderful, the talented English central defender Steph Houghton of Manchester City. Salute. So, the reason why I picked Steph Houghton was because this week against Brighton, one of the two FAWSL games that took place because of the snow emergency, but nevertheless, she had this beautiful free kick from just outside the penalty area. She used her right foot to bend the ball up and over the wall, hit off of the the crossbar, and go directly into goal, guys. If you have not seen the goal, I beg you, please go on to the FA player and find the highlights of the Manchester City and Brighton game. You will adore it and love it, and it's just fantastic. So, guys, for that reason, she, Steph Houghton is our women's 
footballer of the week. Who's your women's football of the week? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know. All right, guys. So with the first two segments down and out of the way, let's get into the third segment, which is going to be, as you know, our weekly recap. This is just a recap of all of the things that I was able to keep tabs on going on in the world of women's soccer. For those of you who are overseas, I'm in America. For those of you who don't know and call it football, I apologize. This is why I call it the women's soccer slash football podcast is so I can appeal to as many people as possible. But anyways, let's get into what's going on this week. So for those of you who followed the NWSL closely, they just dropped some new fan gear. The new fan gear includes, wait for it, wait for it, face masks. Okay, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, and flannels. Guys, the NWSL is the most creative league I have ever seen in terms of attire and gear. I've never seen another league be able to do flannels. I'm waiting for the NWSL to come out with ugly Christmas sweaters next Christmas. If they have a suggestion box, you better believe I'm going to put my suggestion into that box for Christmas sweaters for next year. But guys, they've got flannels out for all of you who love those flannels. I saw they had green and black, red and black, and they also had black and white. And uh, all of those are fantastic options if you're looking for something different to add to your wardrobe. I know Meg Linehan has certainly added to her wardrobe based on that new drop, so uh, feel free to check it out on the NWSL website. Me, personally, flannels aren't really my style, but hey, just because they don't work for me doesn't mean it won't work for you. You might just love it. What else is going on in the world of women's soccer? So, I've got good news for all of you. Last week, I know a ton of WSL games were being postponed because of the snow, which that's a whole other story entirely. In my opinion, that never should have happened. But anyways, anyways... Player safety is number one, but so far this week, no WSL games have been postponed, so that's fantastic. Expect to see all of the games in a good amount of time and for a long time, so keep it locked and keep it in there. Okay, so um, speaking of that, Chelsea and Aston Villa actually made up one of their games today. I know they've both had quite a few games in hand. I mean, any team really does at this point in the season with the COVID-19 pandemic with all of the inclement weather and things have been going on. They were able to make up a game today, Wednesday, that's uh, January 27th, which I forgot to set the scene earlier in the podcast, but I'm going to set the scene after our last segment. So thanks for sticking with me there. But let me double check the score of that game because that has huge implications for the league table. Let's see here. Ah, yes, Chelsea did in fact win. They beat Aston Villa and have now climbed to the top of the WSL table. They have won five out of five of their last WSL league games, which full credit to them, they've been on fire, and that has moved their goal difference up to 28, which moves them to second best goal difference in the league. Hang on, still looking for that score for you guys as of right now. Let's see here. Uh, Chelsea woman, Aston Villa. Let's see, the BBC posted a good score. Sorry I didn't have this up earlier, guys. I was in a bit of a rush today. They beat Aston Villa today by a scoreline of 4-0. to nil. So, wow, it was a pretty convincing win, it looks like. I My money's betting that Fran Kirby probably scored, and so did um, oh, Sam Kerr, maybe even Pernilla Harder. But nevertheless, guys, I will probably break that down in the Sunday episode of the podcast, but... Here, with that result, is what the WSL table looks like. In first, with one, or I'm sorry, in first with two games in hand, we have Chelsea Women's Football Club with 29 points. In second place, we've got 
number one in my heart, Manchester United, with one game in hand, tied at 29 points, but are behind on goal difference by nine goals. Moving into third place, we've got the Manchester City Women's Football Club with two games in hand at 24 points. Going down to the top four outside of Women's Champions League qualification, we have Arsenal with two games in hand at 23 points. And uh, they have the number one goal difference in the league, for those of you who didn't know. It's plus 30. Wow, I know. I'm impressed as well. Uh, Number five, Everton with 17 points, three games in hand. So they've got quite a bit of games to make up that can make a big difference going down the stretch. Moving into sixth place, we've got Reading, no games in hand at 15 points. Seventh place, we've got Tottenham Hotspur with three games in hand at 12 points. And eighth place, we have Birmingham City with 10 points, three games in hand. I forgot to mention, I think that Tottenham also have three games in hand, but that's just a side note. Number nine in ninth place in the WSL table, we have Brighton of Albion with one game in hand at nine points. Then in 10th, we have West Ham's United at seven points with three games in hand. In 11th, we've got Aston Villa, who just lost today to Chelsea, like I mentioned earlier, by scoreline of 4-0 with seven points and two games in hand. And last but not least, uh, Bristol City in 12th place with two points, two games in hand. So that's how the WSL table is sort of shaping up. I am still holding out for my favorite Manchester United to win it all this year to go to the top of the league glory in just their first three seasons of existence. It would be something remarkable of a Cinderella story, and I hope that we all get to see it soon. So that is the WSL result of the day-to-day. But speaking of the WSL, Everton actually just gained a new player last week, and this is my fault because this happened. It was a pretty big headline, and I neglected to make a video about it. My apologies, or mention it in the last podcast episode. I've had two opportunities to do that now, and I missed them both. But nevertheless, Jill Scott is going on loan from Manchester City to Everton for the remainder of the 2020-2021 season. So that means she will be there till the end of this season, helping Everton out, hopefully make a Champions League spot. They have not been in very fine form as of late. I believe they lost their last four out of five. Let me fact check myself on here. I'm sorry, they've lost their last three out of five in all WSL fixtures. Uh, I think this is a great uh, move for Everton because they could use some world-class midfield experience, which Jill Scott can provide. And this frees up a bit of space for Manchester City. Their midfield, to me right now, is pretty crowded with Caroline Weir, Roosevelt, Sam Mewis, everybody known to mankind plays for that Manchester City midfield. So I think this is a good opportunity for Jill Scott to go help another team out and hopefully uh, get some minutes under her belt. I know she was probably looking for some of those with how crowded the midfield was. And City, I believe, on this loan deal, don't have to pay her uh, contract. The Everton Football Club will do that while she is away. So it makes financial sense. It makes roster sense. And I think uh, for Everton, this is definitely a boost to their morale as well. So I'm hoping Jill Scott goes over to Everton and does some phenomenal things. I believe she'll be making her debut with the club this weekend. So stay tuned for that. If she already did make her debut and I just missed it, I apologize. And I'll have to go look up those highlights later. I don't believe she made her debut last week, though, because of all the um, games that were canceled. That's right, because I think Shell, or no, I think Everton and Tottenham were going to play each other. That was my game of the week, and it got postponed. It was a bummer, but I digress. That's what's been going on in the WSL. And one more thing on the WSL, actually. Speaking of my favorite Manchester United squad, 
I have some bad news for all of you fellow Manchester United fans. Tobin Heath has picked up what seems like a pretty extensive injury. That is right. So over the weekend, I was watching the game. Obviously, Tobin Heath was not in the squad. No surprise there. But the fact that she wasn't even on the subs and she was only in the reserves, I'm like, this is probably something a little bit more involved. Turns out somebody on Instagram had a really good eye and noticed that Tobin was wearing a pretty large boot on her right foot, I believe it was. And I think Casey Stoney, the Manchester United manager, was interviewed after the match, and she's like, yeah, she'll be out for a while. She didn't say how long. She just said for a while, I'm assuming this means a month. I'm assuming. Don't quote me on this. I'm just assuming it means probably a month. So that's a big hit to Manchester United. They've been on a roll this season. Tobin Heath, I would contend, is probably one of the WSL players of the year thus far. She's been absolutely mint on both sides of the ball. She has been an icon in Casey Stoney's uh, famous high press. She's been scoring goals like crazy, and she's just been performing great. So it's a bummer to see United lose that asset for a, a, an extended period of time. It's already been two weeks, so there's that. But um, hopefully she'll be back up in spirit soon, and we'll heal, and we wish her a full and speedy recovery. All right, guys, so two more last notes of the weekly recap. The New York Times actually published an article earlier this week, or actually, I'm sorry, earlier last week, talking about some uncertainty about the Tokyo Olympics taking place this summer. So as some of you may know, last summer in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, they were uh, postponed to 2021 because of the coronavirus pandemic, which makes a ton of sense because don't play during a pandemic. But nonetheless, there has been some speculation about whether or not Japan is actually still going to host the tournament for the summer or just cancel it altogether. There's also been murmurs about other countries maybe hosting at last minute, but that is a big undertaking, so I find that lowly likely. Um, I have been asking myself, will they do it? What's all at stake? What's the alternative? Um, <laughs> it could be anything at this point. I mean, I can't imagine. I, let me let me just say this. Player safety is always number one, right? Player safety and health is always number one, but at the same time, the... Um, there's other just considerations for some of these places. Like Japan, for example, has spent billions and billions of dollars trying to get uh, the uh, place up and running. So if they can do it safely, I imagine they will. But if not, who knows? Maybe they won't have the Olympics this summer. I hope they do, if they can do it safely, of course. But if they don't, it'll certainly be a bummer. And I wonder, actually, this is an interesting thought. If they cancel the Olympics this summer again, that leaves two more years until the next or I'm sorry, three more years until the next uh, Summer Olympics, which means that, okay, that which means we'd have probably Olympics two years apart. So say they postpone again to next year. Well, that means we just get two Olympics in the span of three years, which would be fine. But um, from a Japan economic standpoint, it would be devastating if they canceled it. From a player safety standpoint, um, who knows? I am no... Uh, I'm no doctor, I'm no physician, of course, but it'll just be interesting to see how that plays out. Keep your eyes peeled. And I will say that uh, six months out from now is when the Olympics is supposed to start. So uh, there's a lot of time between now and then. Things could change, but we'll just have to see how that shapes up. So sorry, guys, went on a bit of an aside there, but let's keep it going to the last weekly recap point that we have. So per a couple sources, it looks like a couple of Olympic Lyonnais players from the French club of Division One Feminine, one of the most famous, prestigious, most talented clubs in the world. It sounds like two players from that club 
could be heading to OL reign of the NWSL this upcoming 2021 season. But I'm going to save that for one of our main topics coming up. So we'll get into that very soon. But guys, so that about does it for segment three of the, which is the weekly recap. What other bits of world women's soccer news have I missed? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know your thoughts. I appreciate all you guys chiming in. By the way, it's been a ton of fun. I'm still working on getting back to you on the comments. I promise I will catch up. But anyways, let's move on to the fourth and final segment before we get into the main topics. This is a new segment, a brand new one that I just came up with last night I was as I was writing the notes for this particular uh, podcast episode. This is going to be what I like to call, wait for it, the moment of silence. That's right. So what I'm going to do is for the last segment of each podcast episode, I'm going to take and invite you guys to take a toast or a moment of silence for the things in women's soccer that you love most and will say salute at the end of that moment of silence. So, for example, for me, my favorite thing in the world of women's football is the USM's national team, Tobin Heath, Vivian Miedema. She's absolutely wonderful and fantastic as a player in person, from what I know about her, and Manchester United Women's Football Club. And what else am I missing here? just everything about it and you guys for participating and listening watching and consuming the podcast i appreciate all of you so this is my little moment of silence to you as well so on the count of three join with me one two three salute all right that feels good guys thanks for participating in the moment of silence what is your what are your favorite parts about women's soccer what did you take your moment of silence for feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know what you chose all right guys so that about does it for the four uh big segments for this podcast episode uh let's get into our main topics but before i do that i am going to set the scene for the podcast episode because i forgot to do that when we started but guys, so what I like to do is before every podcast, I like to set the scene just to give those of you who are listening on audio and maybe those of you who are watching on YouTube and otherwise just more of a glimpse into the world at which we're recording this podcast. So it goes something like this. It's Wednesday, January 27th of 2021. It is 4.42 p.m. Central Time because that's where I'm at currently. I am in the Midwest of the United States of America. Uh, it is bitterly cold out now. Yesterday here where I'm at, it snowed five to nine inches. I think we got seven at the end of the day. Driving was really, really horrifying. I shouldn't have left the house that day, but I did. Don't worry, I'm fine. Uh, the temperatures have dropped to like single digits. It's like 10 degrees out right now. So basically, every chance I get to grab a hot shower, I do. Whenever I come home every day, I instantly jump in the shower for like 40 minutes. It's a long shower, I know. I should probably take a chair in there. But... Uh, that it, it, that's just how the weather's been going down lately. Uh, looking around me right now. So if you guys know, you guys can see this on the video form, but on the audio form, I have quite a few strip lights in my room that I put in various uh, areas just to have some mood lighting. The lights are lighted up blue today, uh, for really no particular reason. I was going to say that for Steph Houghton, because she plays for Manchester city, Manchester city's colors blue, but that'd be a lie. So I just set them to blue just because for some reason I'm feeling blue today. That, that sounded like I'm sad, but I'm really not. <laughs> but anyway, guys, so that is the setting of the scene for this podcast. And with that down, let's get into our main topics for today. Our first main topic is going to be answering the question, 
why isn't Casey Stoney Press or oh man, why isn't Casey Stoney playing Kristen Press uh, every game? A lot of minutes. What what's been going on with that? I've gotten this question quite a bit across all the platforms that we produce content on, and instead of trying to answer it, I answered this partially in a one minute TikTok video. Shout out to you, Natalie, if you are watching this. But um. I wanted to go into a way more in-depth analysis of why uh, Kristen Press might not be playing a ton of Man- at Manchester United currently and just give a little bit more insight into that world. So let's kind of break it down. So let me start off this by saying Kristen Press is a United States national treasure. She is the eighth wonder of the world. Phenomenal person, phenomenal role model, phenomenal athlete. She is one of the world-class strikers in this world today, especially in the world of women's soccer. And I support her in everything she does, and I hope she succeeds. I think all of these excellent, fine athletes should succeed and will succeed, and will always have my support as a fan. So with that, um, with that in mind, there's two schools of thought we can look at for this situation, for the situation that is Kristen Press at Manchester United. We can look at it from a practical perspective, and we can look at it from a tactical perspective. I'm going to explore both. The practical perspective will be much shorter than the tactical's perspective. So, let's get into the practical perspective. So, one thing that I think a lot of people forget is that Kristen Press was out for, I believe, three weeks pretty recently with a illness. It was a non-COVID-related illness is what it was described as. And I think she's slowly still recovering from that, if that makes sense. I don't know what illness she had. I'm guessing it wasn't very pleasant if you're out for three weeks from training and from games. That's not that that that's that's pretty heavy. Um, so that that begs the question, is Casey Stoney maybe just helping her get built up to that 90 minutes fit um fitness? The the reality is it's like, okay, when you look at the amount of playing time that she's gotten, she hasn't played a full match yet. She hasn't played a full match in the WSL yet this season, to my knowledge. From the research I've done, it's like usually around the 60th minute mark is when Casey Stoney subs her off. Maybe brings on Lauren James. Maybe brings on uh, Jane Ross. Maybe brings on Ivan Vuxo. Uh And that that's just one of the schools I thought I had. It's like, okay, could she be building up her um, match fitness again? Because when you're out for that long and you got to go sprint your butt off and Casey Stoney's high press for 90 minutes, that's hard. That's so hard. I can't even play a... I, so in college, when I played intramurals, I couldn't even run for 20 minutes and not be huffing puffing and want to throw up. I can't imagine running 90. Like, wow, that is hard. That is hard work for any person, any athlete. And that's hard on the body. So when you're recovering from an illness, that makes it doubly hard because you're not only battling your illness, you're battling your own body from trying to get tired and crapping out. So I think that this could partially be that Casey Stoney is just trying to build Kristen back up into uh, full match fitness and also allow time for Kristen to get into a uh, form. Uh, if I'll get into this a little bit more in the tactical perspective, but I don't really think Kristen's been at her highest form and that could be related to the illness that she uh, might've had or is recovering from. So there's that as well. That's just more of the practical standpoint of things are going on as I see them. So with the practical perspective, by the way, let's kind of get into the tactical perspective. So I'm kind of backtracking a little bit here, but stick with me on this. So at the beginning of the season, Man United obviously made two huge signings in Kristen Press and Tobin Heath. And in the last few weeks, Kristen Press hasn't really been starting. She hasn't even been subbed on in this case. 
Um, she's playing less and less. It begs, it, it, and it begs the question why. I'm going to repeat this point over and over again till the end of the tactical perspective. Form is everything. If you are not in form, you probably won't play. So what do I really, how does this apply to Kristen Press? Well, let's break it down a little bit from a statistical perspective. Kristen Press, to my knowledge, has played over 300 minutes of WSL minutes. In that time, she has scored one goal, had zero assists, and three bookings. That's three yellow cards. So at this point, she's got more bookings than goals, which if you're only scoring, as a striker, if you're only scoring one goal in three and a half games, no matter what team you're really playing for, to me that's just a sign that you're not really in, in, in hot form right now. You're not the hot hand on the team. You're not in that in that phase of an athlete where you're like, I am just hitting everything on the sweet spot and I'm doing very, very well in every game. That's a very common concept in the world of soccer slash football is that you're playing that you have to play the players that are on form, those who are really feeling themselves, those who are really performing to a high level. With the numbers I just laid out, you would argue that Kristen Press isn't really in form right now. In over three hundred minutes since she started at the club, and I mean we're talking months now only one goal, that's not enough to be starting really on any team or to really convince a coach that you're in form. So the reality is, is that Kristen Press just isn't really in form right now. And therefore, should she really be playing? I would contend probably not. And here, here's also some additional context as to why. United, as of this morning, forgetting about the Chelsea game that took place this afternoon, United was in first. They had uh, 29 points. They had two games in hand. But they were only leading the league by three points ahead of Chelsea, who have three games in hand. So there's a lot of points that Chelsea could make ground on, and Chelsea has been on fire lately. So the top of the table is really, really tight. And the worst part about this for United's case is that they have, out of the top four teams right now, the worst goal differential. They only have 19, which I know only 19. Yeah, that that, that that's really good for any team. But it's just other teams are doing it even better. Chelsea right now is at 29 goal difference. City is at 27. Arsenal's at 30. So if at the end of the season um, you're tied on points and the way things are going at United right now, they probably won't win the league on goal difference. So you have to get as many points as you can. And every with that in mind, every point counts. And if to get those points, you got to score goals. That's just the reality. That's just the end of the day. If, if any player, if any of your strikers and your forwards are not in form, whether or not they're Kristen Press, because Kristen Press has a lot of notoriety, she has proven tried and true as a forward in the world of women's soccer against the toughest competition, but if you're not performing under those uh, types of stringent conditions where you have a lot of expectation, a lot of stakes riding on, on you and on the squad, you're not going to play because it's the manager, manager's job at the end of the day to put the best 11 she has out on that field for the club to succeed and for the club to win trophies and titles. And as of right now, with the form that Kristen's been in, it, it, it that's just not, it's just not the case for her right now. It's just not going her way right now. I'm not saying, I want to be clear about this. I am not saying Kristen Press is a bad player. I'm saying quite the opposite. Like Kristen Press is one of the world's best, but the reality is she's just in a funk right now and she's not performing. Therefore, it's Casey Stoney's job to be unbiased, to be objective and to uh, take action. And I think that's just what she's doing, and that's why Kristen Press really hasn't been playing as much. And on the other hand of that point, it seems like Casey Stoney has put in a ton of other strikers, and she seems to be uh, experimenting. 
she mainly seems to be putting in Lauren James. Now, I give, I've got to give full credit to Lauren James in these last few games. I did not rate Lauren James very highly at the beginning of the season. I thought she was wasteful. I didn't think she showed a ton of promise. I She has proven me wrong like the last three weeks. It's been a very awesome experience to see because, like I said, I want all these players to succeed. But Lauren James has exercised so much creativity in that front line. She's scoring goals. She's assisting goals. She just had an assist to Leah Galton last weekend. She's making uh, defenders miss in the midfield where it matters most. She's facilitating plays. She's getting out wide. She's doing very, very well right now. So on the flip side of the coin, you've got Kristen Press, who is a world-class striker who isn't really performing. But then again, you've got Lauren James, who's this young, prolific, up-and-coming talent who's been performing great. You've got to go with the hot hand. You've got to put in Lauren James. Um, where that's paid off just last week against Chelsea, uh, Casey Stoney makes the change from Kristen Press to Lauren James. Lauren James comes on, scores within five minutes. And it was a worldie, too. She's maneuvering through the midfield, taking control, and scores a beautiful curler. It's like she, like Lauren James is the hot hand right now. So that's, I think, the main, uh, the main area as to why Casey Stoney is not playing Kristen Press. I just don't think with her illness, with things that have been going down right now, that Kristen Press is really on her best form. And at the end of the day, guys, it all comes down to form. Form is everything. And Casey Stoney, she's got a job to do. And I know as fans, we we would love to see Kristen Press out there and playing because all the joy that she brings to us as US Women's National Team fans, love to see her do it and have joy for herself out for these games in the WSL. But like I said, at the end of the day, Casey Stoney's got a job to do. And some might make counter arguments to this saying that um, Manchester United really don't know how to use Kristen Press. I'm going to say that is a lie. That's a huge lie. And I'm going to tell you why. This is referring to Casey Stoney, who is the manager of the, who up until this morning was first in the WSL league table who took the team from never existing to winning the league in the championship, taking top five in the WSL in her second season, and now leading the league in her third season in charge of a brand new club, growing it by and large from players that they haven't bought. And coming off two Manager of the Month awards in a row and proving that she's one of the best minds in the WSL tactically. So I I, I have a hard time believing the argument that... um. Manchester United just doesn't know how to use Kristen Press. I think that's garbage. I think that they, it's the opposite. I think they know how to use their system so well that, um, I'm trying to remember exactly where I was going with that. I just don't think the reason that Kristen isn't playing is that Manchester United doesn't know how to use her. That, that, that's a lie. That's just not, I just, well, it's not a lie. It's just, I don't, I have a hard time believing that given all of the accolades that I just, uh, laid out concerning the coaching staff at Manchester United. Um, another thing too is is that uh, Casey Stoney is a fantastic manager and that she really deeply cares cares about her players. She knows how to manage the, the players. As a former player herself, she played for Arsenal for years um, and actually quite a few clubs. I believe she ended with Liverpool by the time her career was said and done. But um, after Tobin Heath and Creston Press were drafted by Racing Louisville in the expansion draft. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Casey's only like called them and checked on them and said, hey, are you guys doing okay? Because the whole concept of playing rights, like I don't think Casey quite understood it, but she was like, to have any other pl- player's rights taken away, that's got to be mentally exhausting. Like, how are they feeling? So I believe she checked on them. So it shows you too that like Casey Stoney cares. Like she cares about these these players. She cares about uh, 
um, the players she coaches, she cares about uh, her club. And it, it's really awesome to see a manager go above and beyond that. And I just think it's fantastic from Casey Stoney's perspective. So I don't think it's that Casey Stoney and the Manchester United uh, squad don't know how to use her. And I don't think it's that they don't care. It's just, like I said, at the end of the day, it all comes down to form. Let me dive in a little bit deeper into the point that Manchester United maybe don't know how to use Kristen Press correctly. I contend that they know exactly how to use them, but let, let's kind of break it down a little bit. So let's look at the strengths of Kristen Press. What does Kristen Press do really, really well besides put smiles on all of her faces? I'm smiling ear to ear just thinking about it. But so Kristen Press, she is an expert crosser from wide positions. She's proven that in her US Women's National Team play. She's an excellent shooter from long way out. Most of her goals are from outside the penalty area. It's very rare that Kristen Press scores directly in front of goal. She's not like a pure striker, if that makes particular sense. She's more of like a... I'll get into that in a second. Stick with me. She can dribble out of really tough situations. I've seen her get into some situations in the, near the corners where she dribbles out of and puts in a cross and has her teammates scored. It's amazing. Going hand-in-hand in, hand in that, she's really creative. She's got an excellent right foot that she can shoot with and that she can cross with. And plus, Kristen Press is a speedster. It's no secret she's very, very fast. I would say she's probably, if not the second most, the third most, uh, the third fastest player on the U.S. national team right now. Lynn Williams is definitely faster. I believe that's mathematically been proven. And you guys will love this. I take this with a grain of salt. I watched this video on YouTube from Moso Central. Their channel's pretty cool. Give it uh, a look if you guys are curious. But um, that Allie Krieger like, is one of the fastest footballers in the world. And she got topped out at like 25 and 21.5 miles per hour. That's super fast. I have to dig deeper into the statistics and information to where they got that from to really know. But that's just a little side. Nevertheless, just remember, Kristen Press is really fast. So let's also establish the tendencies of Kristen Press. What does she tend to do? Well, with all of those um, awesome strengths that she possesses, she tends to outrun her opponents. She tends to provide really great service to goal scares from wide areas, but also from corner kicks, free kicks, etc. The like. She provides really excellent assists and service from wide areas. She shoots accurately from outside the box. I'm telling you, the one goal that will always come to mind to me while Kristen Press is in the She Believes Cup in 2019 when uh, she turns, she gets the ball, I believe, from Pino, who just stole it from an English defender, turns around, curls it into the side netting. I have never seen something so beautiful. The hearts of children smiled everywhere. Grown men like myself cried audibly in front of everyone who was around. Luckily, no one was around. And Sebastian Salazar just roars, Kristen Press, what have you done into the night sky? And it was just absolutely fantastic. So... Kristen Press is a really accurate shooter and a really strong shooter from a long, long way out. And like I mentioned earlier, her last 10 seats, she's not typically getting on the end of crosses. You typically will not see Kristen Press storm the box, storm near the keeper to head the ball into goal or score those tap-ins. Kristen Press is usually either assisting from a long way out or scoring from a long way out. So where do those traits and where do those strengths fit onto the field? I can think of three places. One, the left wing two, the right wing, three, and the center forward position. The center forward to me is different than the striker because the striker plays a little bit higher toward the goalie. However, the center forward plays a little bit lower than that, which is like probably just outside the penalty area, but still a little bit higher than what a center attacking midfielder would do. But guys, those are the three areas. 
the left wing, the right wing, center forward. Those are the three areas that you could probably use all those traits with and really excellently. So I've had a hard time really, and I've been watching most United games this season. I've had a really hard time picking out what exactly Casey Stoney does with their front line. I've come to this conclusion. I think by and large, Casey Stoney deploys a false nine. For those of you who might not know what a false nine is in football, what it essentially is, is that you, where your striker would normally be, which is really high up top near the goalie, would normally be brought down a little bit lower, almost playing behind the wings and mainly outside the penalty area, depending on where you start your formation. But they, you're basically taking the striker and you're just moving it a little bit away from goal. And usually your wingers are ahead of you. This has a few advantages because of the fact that you can facilitate more play through the midfield and that when that center forward gets the ball, they can shoot from out there. They can get creative because they're working the midfield space and they're not jammed up next to the central defenders or the back line. They can facilitate play to the excellent wingers, which in this case would be Lee Galton and Tobin Heath, which makes a ton of sense. And it, it really opens up a lot more opportunities and it lets your wingers excel at what they do it, which if you have excellent scoring wingers, this system is perfect. And in United's case, they certainly do because Leah Galton and Tobin Heath are like top 10 scorers in the WSL this season. Leah Galton just got into the top five with her goal last week. So that, that oh, sorry guys, I just cracked my hand. Um, with that in mind, that puts the center forward away from goal having more, that center forward, since they're a little bit further away from goal, they have more long shot opportunities. They can uh, get out wide if they get the ball because they can use that creative position and they're outside the penalty. They can get out wide and cross the ball in if they need to. They can be a little bit more free roaming without throughout their play, which is fantastic because that plays into Chris's press's strength of shooting from outside the penalty area and also crossing from wide areas. It's fantastic. So that's part of the reason why you actually might have seen Leah Golton and Tobin Heath score this season because with that false nine, it puts the uh, wingers up a little bit closer to the goal. When you're close to the goal, naturally you're going to score more, you're going to shoot more, et cetera, and so forth. For those of you who guys who are looking for another example, this Liverpool Football Club, the men's side, uh, use the false nine with Roberto Firmino, Sadio Mane, and Amo Salah, if you're looking for another example. That's what I was trying to remember, and I couldn't quite remember it earlier. So, all right, so I've outlined three different places that Kristen Press can play. Left wing, right wing, center forward. So I've heard a lot of people say, okay, Kristen is a winger through and through no matter what, which... With the tendencies I laid out, that would make a ton of sense why Kristen Press would certainly be a winger. She's fast. She's prolific. She's really excellent at crossing. She can score from a long way out. She's not really the person who's going to score inside the penalty area. She's going to score and be threatening from outside the penalty area. Makes a ton of sense, right? Well, in Casey's, and plus she's right-footed too, so in Casey's system, it would probably make a ton of sense to her to play on the left wing. Naturally, that would work because then she's got the shooting angles too. However, there's a, there's a problem. It, everything comes down to form. Who's playing on the left wing for Manchester United right now? A top five goal scorer just coming off of Hey WSL Player of the Month award, Leah Golton. Leah Golton is your left winger who's been playing out of her mind this season. She's arguably one of the best wingers in the, in the WSL this season. So... In order to make a case for Kristen Press to overtake Leah Galton, Kristen Press has to be in form and playing out of her mind. She's got to be playing out of her mind. She's got to be one of the best players in the WSL. With one goal in over 300 minutes, that's not going to do it. That's just straight up not going to do it. So 
And plus, full credit to Leah Galton, too. Leah Galton, I love Leah Galton. I love all the Manchester United players, but with that in mind, that's not enough to overtake Leah Galton on the left wing. And from what I know about Leah Galton, I don't think she'd serve as a great center forward. That's a whole other topic of debate. But that, that pretty much does it for the left wing. So we can't put press on the left wing. It all comes down to form. So the next thought, well, if not on the left wing, how about the right wing? Well, here, Kristen Press can still use her uh, speed to outrun, take on her opponents with her creativity and dribbling. She can cross from really wide areas into the box, which she's proven time and time again she's really, really good at. But who's on the right wing? Tobin Heath. Tobin Heath, who has been arguably one of the WSL players of the year this year. World-class, tried and true, proven on every big stage imaginable, is playing on your right wing. And she's been on form. She's been killing it this year. So when you've got one goal in 300 minutes against potentially one of the WSL players of the year, that's not enough evidence to overtake and play Kristen Press over Tobin Heath in that spot. So that about kicks care of it from um, for the right wing as well. The one thing I will say, though, if Kristen Press, and this is just another strength, since she's speedy as she is, she would do really well in the high press. But I would argue that Tobin Heath is probably the greatest high press in the world of women's football today. So... There's also that in mind. Um, so, and I've heard some counter arguments to this lately saying, well, Tobin Heath's kind of been out as well. And that's a fair argument. Tobin Heath has been out. But when you're, like I said, like I said, it all comes down to form. I, with the form that Kristen Press has been on lately, I still think the likes of Kirsty Hansen and Ella Toon, who have been scoring because Ella Toon just played the right wing last week and scored. And she scored more goals than Kristen Press this season, proving Ella Toon and Kirsty Hansen are in higher form than Kristen Press's, therefore should be playing on the right wing. So Kristen Press has a lot of competition on that right wing, and with her form, she can't she's not out competing them right now. So that takes care of the right wing. So guys, if she if she can't play on the left wing, I'm not saying she can't, I'm just saying with follow me here. <laughs> um if she if the left wing is out and the right wing is out, and Casey Stoney's front line, where does that leave you? It leaves you in the center forward position, which to me fits absolutely perfectly. I think it fits better than the wings, to be honest with you, because here's why. From that spot, she can use her ability to maneuver through the midfield. She does a really great job at receiving balls from the midfield in wide areas at that particular area of the pitch. She can get out wide to cross the ball into who's ever open, whoever is willing to get on the end of that cross, which a lot of midfielders and Leah Galton and Tobin Heath have certainly proven to do really well at that this season. Um, she can shoot from a long way out if she's got no other option. She's proven time by time again. She's really, really super accurate with that. And she can be trusted to do those things. And she can also help Casey Stoyner high press. Her, Galton, and Tobin Heath could just in, invade the entire back line. They did a really good job against this with Chelsea, where Chelsea would be throwing away the ball pretty much on every goal kick because the high press, no pun intended, was just really, really unrelenting. So there's that as well. So... She fits perfect right there, and I think that's where Casey Stoney's been trying to put her. But here's the issue. Form is everything. One goal in over 300 minutes. I'm sorry, I feel like that's kind of overkill. I keep repeating that stat. But um, form is everything. And if you're, not, if you're just not performing well, the manager just likely won't put you on the team sheet, and I just think that's all what's happening here. Full credit to Lauren James, though. Like I said earlier, she's been performing very, very highly. I absolutely love Kristen Press. It's just right now, I think what's going to happen is Kristen Press just needs time 
to find her form. She is a world-class player who's capable of producing some amazing goals, some amazing uh, worldies, as we'll call them, for her clubs, and she can do some great things. It's just with perhaps, this is speculation, perhaps with the illness, perhaps with traveling overseas, adjusting to a new league, and then on top of that, not playing very well. It's very draining, and your form just kind of suffers you know, at that as time goes on. So at the end of the day, guys, form is everything. And if you're not performing well, you just won't play. And that's just what's been happening here. Just Kristen Press hasn't been playing at her very best. It happens to all athletes. You'll, you'll, you, you, it's very rare to run to an athlete where they'll have a season where they didn't play very well. They just had a bad day at the office. That I think that's what's truly going on here. Um, which don't fret, all of us as the fan base coming together to provide support. I'm sure that greatly helps these players, and I'm sure they appreciate it because they're fantastic people. They're fantastic role models. It's just when it comes down to a footballing perspective, at the end of the day, you've got to perform if you want to play, and Casey Stoney's got a job to do, win football matches. So if she doesn't think that uh, Kristen Press can help them right now, that's okay. She'll just have to put somebody else on the field until Kristen Press can. So I think that's what Casey Stoney's been doing. And I would argue so far it's been working out pretty well because United are in top two in the table and just her third season in charge and the third season of the club's existence. So have faith in Casey Stoney that she is doing everything she can to win uh, games for the football club and that she will uh, make the best choices that she possibly can. And until then, we'll just have to be patient. We'll just have to let Creston Press recover, get back to form. She'll find that space, don't worry. It'll just take time, encouragement, and just... uh, I, I say time heals all wounds. I would contend that that's absolutely true. So um, with encouragement and support from fans just like you, I think she will get there in no time. All right, guys, that was a pretty long segment. What do you guys make of the situation of Kristen Press at Manchester United? I think she will find her form pretty soon, but feel free to let me know. Jump down in the comments below and let me know your thoughts. And all to the best to Kristen Press and all of my fellow Manchester United fans as we hopefully Take number one in the WSL table this year. So, guys, I appreciate you sticking with me for that through that first main topic. Let's get into the second main topic. The second main topic is one I hinted at during the weekly recap, which is some OL players, that's Olympic Leonese, might be coming to OL Reign for the 2021 NWSL season, which I'm shaking just thinking about it. I'm so excited. So, per Jeff Kasuf and Meredith Cash, I found this out on Twitter. Twitter's becoming a really good source of information for women's soccer. I don't know why. I'm cool with it, though. But according to the two of them, between the two of them, at least the information I got, there are three players in question that could be going from Olympic Lyonnais to Olympic Reign. Uh, Sarah Buhadi, the French goalkeeper. Jennifer Merlson, the German midfielder. I believe she's an uh, attacking midfielder. I probably butchered her last name too, so I'm sorry, guys, if you know how to pronounce her name and I mispronounced it. And then third, Wendy Renard, who is a defender. I would argue she's a holding midfielder, but that's, um, that's a whole other topic for another time. It looks like two of them are going to be headed over to OL Reign in the future. Apparently, for those of you guys who don't know this, um, Olympic Leonis owns an NWSL team. That NWSL team, like I said earlier, is Olympic Reign. And... What this essentially does is it creates a ton of flexibility for the Olympic Lyonnais club and that they can send players between the clubs at will, essentially. So that this is where that is coming into play. 
it's almost it's almost the concept of a feeder club, right? One club owns a ton of other smaller clubs at which they derive from, and they might might ship their players over to them. So that's kind of what what's happening here. A couple players from Olympic Lyonnais, the big parent club, are sending a couple players over to the club that they own, which is Olympic Reign of the NWSL. So that's just a little bit of um, a side on that as well. It's a really fascinating topic that I've touched on, and actually in the first podcast episode I ever did, I touched upon that. It's something I could go into for hours, but it wouldn't really be applicable to this situation. But um, let's just talk about some initial thoughts on this. So um, actually, let me back up a little bit. This is baked into the players' contracts for Olympic Lyonnais, which I thought was really fascinating. I believe there there must be some clause on their contract that says if Olympic Lyonnais decides to ship you off to Olympic Reign, since you, this is the parent club and that is the child club, you have to go. <laughs> that that's It's baked into their contract. That's just kind of how it goes, that they can do that. So I've never looked at these players' contracts, don't get me wrong, but when it's coming from a source like Jeff Kasuf, I rarely have any qualms with that, so there's that. But however, overall thoughts. I am so pumped. I am not complaining at all. If OL, if Olympic Lyonnais wants to send their whole squad over to OL Reign, please be my guest because the NWSL could use all the star power it can get. I would absolutely love to see more world-class players make it into this league and provide amazing entertainment, draw more fans, get the fan bases growing, give more money to this club so all these ladies can get paid more money and fans can flourish and we can get as many good experiences as we want. I think this is absolutely phenomenal. Um... And I'm looking forward to seeing them play this uh, NWSL season if it ends up going down. Because, of course, we hear a lot of reports. We hear a lot of things. Sometimes things just fall through. But, however, it sounds like this is becoming more of a reality by the day. But you might be thinking to yourselves, why would Olympic Leonese do this? Why would they send some of their best players? Because, I mean, Sarah Buhati, Morozin, and uh, Wendy Renard are some of the world's best players. All three of them play for their international clubs, and I would contend are like top 20 players in the world. Why would they ever want to give them up? Well, in terms of the team, I wasn't able to dig too deep into this, but I will say this. By Olympic Leones owning a team in the NWSL, I think they're capitalizing on a growing market. There is no doubt in my mind that the NWSL in the United States is growing. They're growing slowly, but they're growing surely. And I think that Olympic Leonese is trying to get into this market while it's cheap. They could probably buy Olympic Reign cheaper now than it would be in 10, 20 years from now when it becomes bigger and then the NWSL becomes huge. So I think that's a big reason why they're doing it is to kind of get a hold in this market. Well, and by doing so, by getting a hold of this market early, they can attract a bigger fan base early and the sooner they can start of start that growth. How do you start that growth? You get big names, it grabs a lot of eyes, it grabs a lot of fans, it grabs a lot of ticket sales, the, the like. that that it, The money makes the world go round and round, so I think this is where it really helps Olympic Lyonnais. It essentially, at the end of the day, it comes down to money. That's just kind of the reality of it. But we, if we as fans benefit from it, I've got no problem with it. Um, also, too, it allows them to kind of hold on to more world-class talent. Let me explain. Olympic Lyonnais, you would argue, is a case of too many cooks in the kitchen. I invite you to go look at their roster. It's insanely stacked. They've got every world-class, world's-best striker, midfielder, defender, and goalkeeper you can possibly imagine. And so when you've got that much world-class talent, at some point you've got too many cooks in the kitchen. You've got too much world-class talent. Not all of them can play. A lot of them know their world-class talent. They're like, well, what the heck? Why didn't I just leave? So instead of having them leave, what they can do is they could say, okay, you might not be playing a lot here, but you can go to another one of our big clubs overseas in this case, OL Reign, thereby they hang on to that world-class talent, which attracts more fans, which attracts more money, etc. and so forth. It allows them to keep more cooks 
and expand their kitchen. So essentially what they're doing is they're keeping all their cooks, but making their kitchen bigger. So I think that's really fascinating. I think that's actually kind of brilliant. And if it benefits us as fans, who cares? Um, and also this allows them for a more a bigger uh, global appeal. I would say that Olympic Leonis is one of the biggest names in women's football, but if you expand the name Olympic L something, OL, um, it draws more eyes, it draws more global brands. Then you start getting to the points where you're the Manchester Uniteds, the PSGs, the Juventus, the uh, um, Real Madrid, Barcelona. It just helps draw the brand the more reach you've got. This is expanding that reach. So the flip side of the coin is, does this help the NWSL? Hell yes. <laughs> um, you get to see more world-class players. I've already kind of touched on this a little bit, so this might be overkill, but it gives more competition in the league. It makes it a lot more competitive. It makes it a lot more exciting. I don't know about you guys. I'm really sick of Portland and the North Carolina Courage dominating the league each and every season. It's getting old. I, I'm excited for new teams like the Houston Dash, the Chicago Red Stars of the world to start making up-and-coming um, runs and start winning the league because, man, I'm so tired of seeing... Uh, the the thorns and the courage just dominate and world beat every year it's insane um and the good part about this is it's like okay this really contributes i believe to the end of cell growing as a whole for those of you who don't know i could make a thesis paper on this but um the end of cell is adopting this strategy where they're trying to grow slowly over time they're trying not to overkill it they're not trying to grow too fast um some if you guys remember years ago, we used to have the WPS, which is the Women's Professional Soccer League, I think it was. And what happened was, is they gave players too much money and they gave, um, they built too big of stadiums. They, they just went too big too quickly. And when you do that and you don't have the fan base or the money to back that up, the league naturally runs out of money and it folds. So the NWSL, I think, is taking the right approach and slowly growing the league over time thereby incrementally increasing the amount of money the players get paid, the amount of money that's exchanged amongst clubs, the amount of money that they can go out to overseas players and buy. It's slowly growing over time, and I think that um, Olympic Leonese sending players from their club to Olympic reign in the NWSL is just excellent um, support for that. It's slowly growing the league over time because you're increasing the talent in that football club, and it makes more contenders, and it's really really exciting. So if I had to sum it up, guys, I think this is absolutely fantastic for the NWSL and for all parties involved. But I want to know, what do you guys think about um, this going on? Do you think it'll still happen? Do you think it's just mumbo jumbo? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know what you think. All right, guys. So with the second main topic out of the way, let's get into the third and final main topic of the evening, which is going to be, drumroll please, the FAWSL Match Week 14 Preview. That's right, guys. We are coming up on another match week in the WSL. It is amazing that we're 14 weeks into it because I swear league play just started up like yesterday in September or was it October? I can't remember. I just remember being warm out five minutes ago and now it's 10 degrees and snowing where I'm at. So there's that. But let's get into the fixtures. What have we got going on this weekend? So first match of the weekend is going to be a little bit more of a low-key one. We've got Bristol City and Brighton of Albion. I have got Brighton of Albion winning by a scoreline of 2 to Bristol City's nil. Reason being is Bristol City and poor Bristol City. I feel so bad for them. Raise my glass to them because they've been having a rough go at it. But their goal difference right now is at minus 43. And they're only at two points with three games in hand. It's not looking good for them this season, guys. And they have had trouble scoring as of late. I don't think they'll change this week. I think Brighton will handle them pretty easily. Uh, moving on to the second game. 
Uh, Chelsea and Tottenham. I think this is going to be shaping up to be one of the most interesting matches of the weekend. However, I've got Chelsea winning this one by scoreline of three to Tottenham's one. Reason being, Chelsea have won the last five out of five in league play and have beat some of the top teams in the league, Manchester United included. Breaks my heart, I know. For those of you who are on audio right now, I'm slowly making a shape of a heart with my hands and breaking it in half into two because I am just crushed as a Man United fan. But that, nevertheless, why am I predicting that scoreline? So like I said, Chelsea on fire last five games. Tottenham are on a three-game win streak in league play. I think they'll give Chelsea a little bit of trouble. I don't think they'll win. I think they will give Chelsea a little bit of trouble and they'll score a goal. But with how overpowering Chelsea's been lately, I just don't think Tottenham will be enough for them. So that's the main reason. Uh, next scoreline. This is going to be another interesting one. Aston Villa and Arsenal. I have Arsenal... Wait for it, wait for it. Winning. I've got Arsenal winning this match by scoreline of two to Aston Villa's one. It's no secret that Arsenal Football Club has had a lot of trouble in recent weeks in the WSL, which... Bless the players' hearts because I heard I've been hearing Joe Montemurro has been doing some very questionable things, saying some really questionable things. It's a very Jose Mourinho esque sort of situation. You know, you're alienating the players, you're a little outspoken in the media, you're attracting a lot of attention. It's just not good for anybody at the club, players included. So I feel bad. I think the players are battling a lot right now. Um, really strange things have been looming at the football club. I, like I said, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but this is just what I've been hearing, what I've been reading, what I've been seeing. Uh, Shout out to you Arsenal fans who have been having to put up with this stuff because I it, it, it can't be easy. Um, but I think at the end of the day, Arsenal is the more talented and organized side, and I think that will show in this particular game. Aston Villa is in the bottom three right now in the entire league, and I don't anticipate that will change. However, with Arsenal struggling, I think they will have a hard time winning this game, which is why I have the scoreline so uh, tight. Um, so scoreline, Arsenal 2, Aston Villa 1. Villa's proven to crumble against stronger opposition, too, so that's one thing to keep in mind. All right, guys, so moving on to my favorite team, Manchester United. Or, uh, Sorry, I got excited. One second. Going on the other side of the city. We have Manchester City and West Ham United playing against each other at the weekend as well. Manchester City will win this match by a scoreline of four to West Ham's nil. And Manchester City have proven week in and week out to just absolutely boss weaker teams. Brighton of Albion, they just beat them 7-1 at the weekend. Last weekend, that is, for match week 13. And it, it it's just so consistent. And I'm like, why would that change this week? I actually think my scoreline is a little conservative. I think my scoreline should probably be scoreline of Manchester City 6, West Ham nil. I'm actually going to change that in this article right now. I've got Manchester City winning this game by scoreline of 6 to West Ham's nil. Um, West Ham are in the bottom three, I believe, as well, and they haven't performing very well this season. Um, I will say they did perform well against Chelsea weeks ago, but um, Manchester City has just been performing so great that I just I can't count them out to have a crazy good scoreline. So there's that, guys. Manchester City's goal differential will be number one in the league by the time this week is said and done. Now moving on to my game of the week. Now there's a little bit of bias in here, but I still contend two top fives, two top five teams playing against each other in the same week. Calls for a game of the week. It's going to be Manchester United facing off against Everton. My scoreline prediction for this is going to be Manchester United 3, Everton 1. I believe Manchester United are still going to feel the effects of losing to Chelsea a couple weeks out, and I still think they'll have that chip on their shoulder that they'll carry with them the rest of the season. I think Casey Stoney tactically has been masterclass in recent weeks is going to deploy that for this particular match and continue that momentum. On the flip side of the coin, Everton... 
They have been really, really struggling the last five weeks. Like I said, in their last five matches, they've only won one time and they've lost three. So I don't anticipate they'll change anytime soon. I think Everton have proven that they cannot beat better teams than them, teams above them in the table. So for that reason, I've been calling them pretenders in the league rather than contenders, which sounds really mean, but it just rhymes really well. So I'm just kind of going to go with it. But I hope that they succeed. But in this case, I don't think that'll be uh, that'll be it for them. I think Manchester United will win this one by a scoreline of three to one. And one other thing to note too is I think Manchester United have a lot more to play for in this match. They are second in the league uh, on goal differential to Chelsea. So, like I was saying earlier about uh, my main topic about Kristen Press, every single point matters. And Manchester United, if they want to compete for a title, have got to win week in, week out. So. I think they're going to be the more, uh, for lack of a better term, desperate team here in this match. Let me take a breath here. Well, guys, so that'll do it for the third main topic. What is your FAWSL match of the week this week? Feel free to jump down in the comments below and let me know. And guys, if you would like to watch FAWSL games and have no idea how to, I want you to download two apps. I want you to download the space FA space player. That's the FA player. Go onto the iOS or Google Play Store, download that app. You will get any WSL match for free, and you get a whole bunch of other content and fun shows too. I was just watching the warm-up show last night. I forgot what the hosts hostesses' names are. They're fantastic, though. They're a ton of fun. They interviewed uh, Janine. No, I'm sorry, Georgia Stanway the other night, and it was just so much fun to hear their banter, hear them talk. I highly recommend checking that out. And also, I want you to download Ata Football. That's A T A Space Football. That also gets you access to most WSL big matches and also Division One feminine matches as well. All the more more of the big ones like the Bordeaux, the Olympic Lyonnais, the PSGs. So those are two apps that will help you out greatly. All right, guys. So that brings us to the end of the podcast. And before I go, I just want to say thank you so much for sticking with me and for, for this long and listening. I've been having a ton of fun making this. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as well. I appreciate you guys participating in the fandom and putting in questions, comments, and other things down in the comments, so feel free to keep that going as well. Um, a few more uh, housekeeping items. If you guys would like or would like me to answer questions that you have about the League of the World, about the women's soccer in general, and want them featured on this particular podcast, um, I'm going to link a Google form down in the description below that will allow you to go ahead and put in the question that you have for the podcast. So if as long as it's appropriate and applicable, I will be happy to answer it, but um, feel free to check that out. So guys, that'll do it for this episode of the Women's Soccer slash Football Podcast. I hope to see you on my other platforms that include TikTok, Instagram, and the like, which I'll link down below. And I hope you guys have a phenomenal day, and I thank you for sticking with me. So until the next Women's Soccer slash Football Podcast episode, I've been Bryce, and as always, have a great day.